This podcast is offered by the San Francisco Zen Center on the web at www.sfcc.org. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. Thank you very much for giving me this opportunity to give a talk at City Center Dharma event. I wish I could be there physically and see you and talk to you about all these social movements in our society since we started sheltering in place on March 19th. I wonder how you are doing. I mean, how you are really doing. I ask this question to you because I sometimes find it is very difficult to answer honestly, or I am so accustomed to answer automatically without checking my feelings. I am fine. I am doing okay. Thank you for asking. These are my daily replies. <clears throat> and now at Green Gulch, with the guidelines of social distancing and mask wearing, many of us even stop asking this simple question when we see each other or pass each other. It is very awkward to start a conversation with a mask and six feet apart. Although I sincerely respect and acknowledge the importance of both guidelines. So how have I been doing? Well, I was doing okay, even though my work has been a lot of changes and adjustment. And I was dealing with many complaints since the sheltering at home was placed in Marin County. However, at the end of May, I finally broke down in tears, not because of my work or community relation, but the current situation of our society, which intensified by the COVID-19 pandemic and the murder of Mr. Floyd and all that came before, which led to the national and international demonstrations. Even I have a difficulty pointing out what it is. And if I try, I may call it systemic racism and inequality in our society and in this country. But part of me also feels like even this word cannot fully capture. I kept quiet, 
even after I broke down. Honestly, I did not know how to share my sadness, anger, and frustration to other people. And part of me thought it was not appropriate to share such a feelings. I also thought I have a very different point of view from many people in the community because of my color and my status as an immigrant. What I really did not want to happen was that my feelings were denied or were not taken seriously by other people after I took a chance to share them. I thought that would be very painful. A part of me also felt and still feels, so what if my feelings are broken apart? That would be far less painful than the reality of daily life for many people in this country right now. So today, I would like to try to share my story in solidarity with the people who have been protesting on the streets and many other places for equality and justice. That will give me courage to talk today. I have stopped watching TV since 2003 after listening to President George W. Bush II giving a speech declaring the war against Iraq. I was in graduate school and involved in peace activism. All my free time was spent organizing, mobilizing, and participating in demonstration against the war on terrorism in a small college town in Illinois and Chicago and Washington, D.C. I thought there was no truth in TV news, and I thought it was the end of our democracy. I still don't own the TV, but I started watching news programs on my computer since the COVID-19 started spreading around the world. First, I was simply worried about my elderly mother in Japan and uh, tried to gather more information about this disease. Then I was shocked by the number of deaths by this virus around the world and the spread of the speed of its infection rate. The more I read and discovered about this disease and how it has been manifested in our society, the more I started feeling uncomfortable and uneasy about the findings. And I did not know how to share my anger, sadness, disappointment, 
frustration and disempowerment to other people. Especially, I did not know how to reach out to other people of color. Systemic racism, also known as institutional racism, is a form of racism expressed in the practice of social and political institutions. It is reflected in disparities regarding wealth, income, criminal justice, employment, housing, healthcare, political power, and education, among all fact other factors. Institutional racism was defined by Sir William Macpherson in UK's Lawrence Report in 1999 as the collective failure of an organization to provide an appropriate and professional service to people because of their color, culture, or ethnic origin. It can be seen or detected in processes, attitude, and behavior, which amount of discrimination through prejudice, ignorance, thoughtlessness, and racist stereotyping, which disadvantage minority ethnic people. Here is a, one painful report I would like to share as one example of systemic racism in this country regarding why coronavirus hits African-Americans the hardest. Along the Mississippi River between Baton Rouge and New Orleans, there is 85-mile stretch of the land known as Cancer Valley. For decades, some communities that live in this part of Louisiana have reported disproportionately high rates of respiratory disease and cancer. There is one portion called St. John the Baptist in this area. A person's lifetime risk of getting cancer is 50 times greater than the average Americans. And now it also has one of the highest COVID-19 death rates per capita in this country. A closer look reveals that the community here is predominantly African-Americans. Louisiana has one of the most toxic air in the US. For details, oil, gas, chemical, and plastic has been manufactured there. 
Much of it comes from roughly 200 chemical plants and oil refineries in this quarter of the Mississippi River banks, which is called Cancer Alley. The air people breathe in naturally is so filled with carcinogen so that it is labeled as national sacrifice zone. The population of St. John the Baptist is 50% African-Americans. And of the community closest to the chemical plants is 92% African-Americans due to the housing discrimination and racial segregation. This country is tied to race and place. Here, along this cancer alley, the history of community goes, to, goes back to the slavery. This area was mostly sugar plantations. After the slavery was ended, many African-Americans stayed in this area and established black community on or near the plantations. In the 1940s, new industry took place in Louisiana and the petrochemical industries replaced these plantations. The company set up the facilities right next to historically African-American communities, but most of the jobs in the plant did not go to them. The community was left with pollution, poverty, sickness, and some cases death. In this country, corporations often bought out the entire town. Toxic industries have been established near communities of color across the US, like mining operations or power plants near Native American reservations. In more urban areas, racist public policies like redlining have historically marked black and brown neighborhoods list as less desirable, pushing the polluters like highways and factories closer to their homes. The community with higher air pollution also had higher probability of the deadly coronavirus cases. In Louisiana, the African-American residents make up 32% of the population, but they make up 56% COVID-19 death. In Michigan, the African-American residents make up 14% of the population, but they make up 41% of COVID-19 death. In March, 
the Trump administration suspended the clean air protections across the country. So in Louisiana's cancer alley, that means petrochemical facilities will now have no oversight over how much they pollute. This is just one of many, 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 many painful and unjustifiable realities for many African-Americans and people of color in this country. These Black Lives Matter demonstrations across the states and all over the world are not just for the protest against the police officer who killed George Floyd, but also for many, many others who came before him and now after him. If I name a few, Rodney King, 1991, Abner Loimer, 1997, Amadou Diaro, 1999, Sean Bell, 2006, Eric Garner, 2014, Brianna Taylor, Ahmad Arbery, and Lashard Brooks, 2020. This list goes on and on and on and on. These are not individual isolated cases, but it is the patterns and structures built on a systemic racism that this country created intentionally. If you are what we are, black, minority, or poor, we understand what it means to be a target of the system that is designed to keep us down, even with violence of any forms, if necessary. And now, many people around the world are saying that reform is not enough. You cannot reform something that was inherently designed to be wrong. So people are demanding that this structure need to be reconstructed intentionally with one that considers and serves the needs of people. Let's stop having police in school. Let's stop having police dealing with homelessness. Let's stop having police dealing with people with mental illness. Let's stop having police patrolling neighborhood where they don't live and give that job to the residents. This takes sustained pressure 
energy and attention for a long, long period of time from all of us. As you may know, many positive changes are also happening all over the country right now because of the collect collective power of the demonstrations. The mayor of Los Angeles announced that he will not be increasing the police budget. Instead, $250 million will be invested in such areas as the job of education, especially black and non-white community. New York State passed leg legislation for transparency of disciplinary record of police officers, 50A. Ban chokeholds. Institutionalize attorney general as a special prosecutor for police misconduct instead of internal police investigations. And punish the false race-based 911 call. We should be proud of these institutional changes. At the same time, we have to remind ourselves that this is just the beginning. And we have so much work to do together for a sustained period of time. So what can we do? What can we do as, a, as an individual? What can we do as the institution of San Francisco Zen Center? Well, recently I confessed to my teacher that sometimes I don't know what I'm doing in the kitchen where I work every day. Some days I really, really, really wanted to go and join the demonstration just to be with and to stand together with people on the street fighting for justice and equality instead of cooking tough cabbage at Green Gulch. Tenshin Roshi asked me if I can express justice and equality while I am cutting carrots. My answer was, unfortunately, I don't know. I told him that I don't have the confidence and conviction to cut, cut carrots for our equality and justice. He further asked me, do you want all your daily activities and actions to be the expression of equality and justice? My answer was yes. However, how can I know what I am doing becomes the cause of equality and justice. 
天心ロシ said, You don't know that, but still, do you want to? I recently opened to have a difficult conversation with a member of this community. I knew we had to have a conversation or conversations, but a part of me wanted to avoid conflict if possible and as usual. By the way, This is not the first difficult conversation I had to have in this community, as you may think. It is complicated when I think about any conflicts or difficult situations in the community. It is not a simple matter of what I said hurt the person or vice versa. It is usually entangled with power structure, which is based on seniority, job title, race, gender, culture, including language. My last difficult conversation was so painful, so painful. And I told my teacher so when he asked me. At that time, Tenshin Roshi told me that I can still sit and listen to the other person while I am feeling excruciating pain. I can still practice generosity and patience to my pain and to the person while. Not agreeing with the person and feeling pain if I want to. He also kindly added, however, you don't have to have a conversation if it is too much. You can always say that I need more time. So back to my current difficult conversation. When I realized that I should have this conversation, knowing that a part of me wanted to avoid it, I thought I am more willing to try this if I think of this conversation as a small contribution to what is happening right now in our society. Yes, I know that this will not impact on any registrational levels of systemic racism. But when I think about any conflict between two parties, including police officers and community, building trust is an important ingredient to understand each other. And heal if some damages have been already done. Honest and skillful conversation can be one of 
important tools to build and rebuild trust. It is not an easy task, but I would like to try to learn. Actually, I am very curious about the process of how we build or damage our trust to one another. I like to spend more time contemplating this matter and hope to have some conversation with some of you if you are interested in it. Before I end, I would like to add one more thing. Hope to encourage people, especially people of color in San Francisco Zen Center, to speak out what is true to yourself when critical situation arises. I have been practicing at San Francisco Zen Center for 14 years. For some people, I may appear to be a senior, but for others, I may still appear to be a baby in this community. Even after 14 years of practicing together with the community, each time a difficult situation arose and I decided to speak out, I felt fear. I felt the fear of being asked to leave, the fear of being labeled as a difficult person, the fear of being told I am disharmonizing the community. And this fear is still here right now with me. And for the leadership of San Francisco Zen Center, first, I would like to express my deep appreciation for letting me practice here for the last 40 years. I know sometimes I am not an easy person to deal with. And I would like to ask you this, even though I don't know how to do it. Can we, the San Francisco Zen Center, build a model structure and environment in which we, the people of Kara, feel safe to express our concerns when they arise without feeling fear that it might cost us our practice life here at Zen Center. Can we start having the conversation about this issue, including all of us, not only DIA, 
not only the elders' council, not only the practice committee, not only the senior staff, but including all of us. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the San Francisco Zen Center. Our Dharma talks are offered at no cost, and this is made possible by the donations we receive. Your financial support helps us to continue to offer the Dharma. For more information, visit sfcc.org and click Giving. May we fully enjoy the Dharma.